0: Just past 7 o'clock, and here we go. Gotta love Monday nights. Time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And, you know, a lot of, uh, not a lot of sports going on, Ira, but our show is still packed. So so much to talk about. It is nice having you back in studio. I know you were probably bored, though. This has been your quietest week in, I don't know... Months. (laughs) Four months <laughs>
1: well I haven't traveled any sporting 40 minutes but certainly watched a ton on television and you know we were just joking earlier I mean I love the NBA the heat are leading the the East I'm excited about that and I watched Duke Carolina basketball so it was up but you know we're getting excited for the Super Bowl so it'll be that's what's coming on next week
0: and we've got plans tomorrow and getting ready for the uh, Honda Classic going to their media day so that should be uh exciting hopefully we can get you more information on that as we get a little closer great interviews today Ira first up is Greg Beatty tell us about him
1: uh tight end for the uh, Dolphins back from in the late 80s, early 90s, was one of the star tight ends on the team, played with Marino, Duper, uh, Clayton thought, br- bring him in, get sort of a, a feeling for the get ready for the Super Bowl, uh, talk about that a little bit. And then we got Charles Oakley coming in, the great Charles Oakley, uh, former Nick, he just came out with a book, uh, One of arguably one of the best rebounders in the history of basketball, uh, just the most... I think the most popular New York Knicks since Walt Frazier's mm-hmm. in the last fifty years uh, had all these fights, I and mean, especially when you fight with Dolan, the owner, that makes you even more popular. But uh, no, I, I'm so excited to have him on too.
0: He was, um, I, I was, you know, floored when you got this interview because Charles Oakley, being a, a kid who grew up in New York in the '90s, Charles Oakley was the coolest thing around. You know, everyone had their Nick. Patrick Ewing was the leader, but then everyone had their nick that they loved. You know, Anthony Mason, John Starks. But it seems like most people gravitated towards Oakley and just his kind of bigger-than-life personality, and he's going to be a lot of fun to talk to.
1: Yeah, it'll be great to have him on.
0: All right, Ira. Week away from the Super Bowl, less than a week away. I'm still torn on this. I mean, I kind of know which way I'm going, but let's talk about just a little preview about what we're looking at here.
1: I'm not torn. (laughs) I know Uh, you're not. I'm not. I think the Rams win this game. I think if the Rams lose... I think there will be a tremendous criticism of Sean McVay for losing two Super Bowls. I think Matthew Stafford, I think everything that he did to get here, I think it's going to be lost. I think he's going to... Because I think the only way the Rams lose, Stafford has a terrible game. Throws three, four interceptions, loses the game. Um, I just can't see it. I literally cannot... And if the Bengals win you're going to be looking at Joe Burrow as saying, well, Patrick Burrow is going to maybe win more Super Bowls to Patrick Mahomes, because I think that's why I think the line at four and a half. Nice. But I, I just think the Rams are a far better team. They have a far better defense. Uh, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey. They have superstars on defense. I just think they're gonna have a lot of sacks. Aaron Donald is the best player on the field. So, yep. and he's going to stop the Bengals from running. They're, he also pressures Burrow. They give up nine sacks to the Titans. They could give that again. Their d- secondary is even better than the Titans secondary. There's really, I just, I can't see it. And then all those things about the, the Bengals, this is, you know, they're first and second year players. They're they they they're, they're not used to the, the, this is a different type of game. Stafford, I know the, the Rams, they have some players that were there at the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Players like Stafford have been in the league for 15 years. It, but And I, there's just so much different. The, the halftime is extra long. The interviews, the interviews before, the interviews afterwards, the questions, all those things. Now, I think the Bengals were helped because of the remoteness, because they're doing a remote interview. There's not the media day that they used to have. But in general, I, I just feel like everything that I just I, – I'm not sold on the Bengals anyway. Like, I'm surprised they made it. I think they probably should have lost to the Raiders. I think they, they, they probably should have lost to the Titans yeah. and they were down to the Chiefs. And I think when you say, well, what did what the Rams done? Well, the Rams blew out the Arizona Cardinals. That game was over in the first three minutes mm-hmm. of the game. Just com- one of the most boring playoffs, it was the only boring playoff game yeah. the whole time. They're up by a million points on the Bucks, and uh, in Tampa Bay, It blew them out. And then somehow, whatever, crazy things happened. And plus, you have Tom Brady and maybe the football gods were pushing them <laughs> to try to win that. And then they always have trouble with San Francisco. And, and the Bengals lost to San Francisco also. So so Syfers is a type of team that people had trouble with. And the Bengals to me, the 10 and 7, I mean, all I can say is one thing they lost to the Jets. Is that something to yeah. say? They lost to the Jets.
0: All of the Rams losses are to playoff teams in I mean, the regular season. They
1: lost to Chicago Bears. They lost to the Jets. I mean, to me, I just feel I just feel like this is a blowout. This is 38-23. I'll give them scoring some touchdowns. I just don't see it. I don't see how the Bengals are they in, in the playoffs in the three games four field goals each game. They are not good in the red zone. They they're great kicking the field goals, but they can't they can't convert. I just think Mixon's not going to be able to run the ball. I think it's going to I think Burrow's going to feel pressured. I think they're going to get he's going to throw up interceptions. They're going to try to get the ball to Chase and Higgins. Look, the Bengals are a good team, but I don't even think they're the best team in the AFC. I mean, I think they. <laughs> they're they're lucky to be here and i think they're going to get blown out.
0: well it's no question it's not even a conversation that they've overperformed you know for what you're looking at on paper. that that bodes well for the coach. bodes well for Joe Burrow who's done a lot to elevate this team and get put them in positions to win. the only way that they have a shot is if that offensive line holds. and i can't like i'm with you. i think It's just an overwhelming defensive front for the Rams, one of the best in the league. And they're a a middling at best offensive line we saw against the Titans. And the Titans aren't some amazing defense. They're good, not amazing. And they gave Joe Burrow fits, you know, to the tune of nine sacks. If maybe if the offensive line can hold, we could see a one possession game at the end. But I can't even see that happening.
1: When you say offensive line holds, it reminds me of like friends who say we're going to go on a boat and we go look in the boat and there's like you know <laughs> there's water already in the boat. Well, <laughs> we're going to have a nice trip if we you know if, our, if the boat holds if we don't get any leaks. And I'm like you already have a leak now. Like again, their offensive line has been a problem all year. It's been a mess, and they're going. against a team that to take advantage of it. I you know, I really love Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, every I've watched the Rams, I think the last ten games. Every single game he keeps getting better. You know, when they signed him, it's like in Cle- I was there in Cleveland the last game. I mean, how about Iron Sports on Facebook, <laughs> Instagram? We have the last Catch that he yeah. has a leave Brown. He was just not into the game. He didn't like Baker. I don't know what. He, this is the different. This is the Odell, the great Odell. This is the best he's ever. I mean, I'm going to say this. This might be the best he's ever played. He's getting open. He's running routes. Cup is getting and, and 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 he seems to work with Cup. Stafford knows. I mean, the thing is, the only as I'm saying that the only way the Rams lose is Stafford throws three, four interceptions. I mean, if he throws that interception like he did against the 49ers, if he if they snap the ball against the Buccaneers and he's not looking, like I mean, Stafford could lose this game. And if he does, I. I don't. All these people say, "Oh, he's he's exercised all those demons." No, because if they lose, he's gonna have one of the most horrendous games. And I just think it's just like I am excited to see this game, but and also. There is something to say about be playing at home. And I was saying, well, well, they really don't have a home field advantage. The fans, no, do no, they well. do. <laughs> but it's familiarity. It's like when I was at that stadium. It's a weird stadium. It's different. You know, it is the most expensive stadium ever built. It has the way the windows are set. It's like half in open, half not closed. And they played how many games? We're pre- counting preseason. What they played eight games, and then they played maybe ten games eleven. They practice there. They're used to that environment. Yeah. And I just think it's a different environment. And I think the fact that they've been there. Uh, they're used to it. That helps everything. Their experience, their familiarity with, with the SoFi Stadium. I just think their defensive line, the, I, everything I put to. And everyone's talking about, oh, Mike Hilton's great. When people keep telling me about the Bengals and Michael Hilton, he played on the Steelers. He was got burnt the whole time. I don't understand why. <laughs> Eli, I mean, they're mentioning Eli Apple, Mike Hilton, all these guys that – I'm I'm looking for I'm just like I put 38 23 I just it might be worse than that like I I think really the Rams like I, I see the Rams a team it's like when you're watching a team coming together and I think forget what happened in the 49ers game I think 49ers are just a really tough team I think we're gonna see the Cardinals type game again where this game could be oh this game. And, you know, years and years ago, these Super Bowls weren't close. They were mm-hmm. blowouts. There was, a, there was a, about six, seven years where every Super Bowl was like 30 points. And now when the Patriots got involved, it got closer. But sometimes these games, and they get out. And what happens is that when you get behind, now Brady came back. But that's Brady. A lot of teams don't come back. A lot of times you get down, and then the pressure and the emotions and the anxiety, and then you just fall apart.
0: Let's uh, move on to the NFL coaching carousel. Ira N. Our Miami Dolphins have their guy coming over from San Francisco. It's Mike McDaniel
1: very weird hire I mean he's (laughs) first of all he went to Yale Smart guy. uh, 38 years old 15 year assistant he was an intern for the Broncos Uh, then he was under Kubiak for Texans and then he was on that Washington staff that won like six games they had LaFleur McVay Kyle Shanahan now four NFL coaches on one staff and they couldn't even they weren't even a 500 team and then he just (laughs) followed followed Shanahan he went to Cleveland and then he went to Atlanta he was on the team that lost to the Super Bowl and then he's been San Francisco for a couple years and uh, and in the five seasons he with San Francisco he didn't really run he was quote offensive coordinator but really Shanahan called the plays and those things so there's a lot of issues people think he's just this innovative mind and everyone saw what San Francisco with Debo Samuel using the the wide receivers to run I mean if you're like I guess Jalen Waddell and, and you're Devontae Parker that's great it might work with Tua though because Tua is very intellectual one of the, people consider him one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league and with to have this very, a very complex offense he might really might work with this so there, you can see what they're trying to do with it i'm not sure i mean again he's just really hasn't called plays hasn't run things you like his concepts and how and usually a lot of this is are you a leader are you going to motivate these players and those type of thing. i mean some people say he's Adam Gase you know he's like oh so right drop some plays you know so uh
0: <laughs> and we know how that worked out uh, in Miami No, I mean, it definitely could go multiple ways. The Dolphins, without a doubt, and I think Brian Flores should have been retained, but they should have brought in an offensive mind. I mean, me and you watch these games it's not a fun offense to watch. Not only is it not creative, they're not explosive by any means. And they've got explosive players. It just doesn't ever come together on Sunday. So something had to be changed. I don't know if Mike McDaniel is the answer to that, but I'd am I, I like to step in the right direction of that thought process.
1: Well, how about, and one thing for fantasy next year, I mean, considering that the 49ers were the top running teams the last four or five years, really expect whatever they do at the running back mm-hmm. position. And and, he, and he's shown from Elijah Mitchell. I mean, last year, they drafted Trey Sherman in the second round, and, they, and Elijah Mitchell was a six-round pick. And Elijah Mitchell, you know, whoever they put in as a
0: starter, whoever. And so,
1: <laughs> whoever the Dolphin running back is next year, I would put him in fantasy because they're definitely going to run the ball, and I think people like that from the Dolphins' perspective. But also utilize the run to open. And and there's the argument that two is a better quarterback than Jimmy G. So there's something to say about it. I I don't think people are jumping up and down like this is the greatest hire in the mm-hmm. world. I mean, I'd rather have uh, you know, I I think that you would rather have someone maybe who has more experience as a coach. Uh, and this could all fall apart because it seems like the Dolphins have had some problems with these coaches that haven't had that experience.
0: Yeah, you think this is chris greer's last shot i don't think that he's getting another coach to go through so he's hanging his laurels on this one we will find out if it works so ira it seemed like the worst kept secret in football oh gosh harbaugh is coming back to the nfl he's going to be the vikings head coach until he's not (laughs) and here we
1: go kevin o'connell the new uh new vikings head coach well he's not they haven't officially announced because he's the offensive coordinator for the rams but um but, you know, the idea was that uh, Harbaugh shows up there thinking he had the job, and he never had the job. Yeah. So that was crazy. And then, But, you know, only Harbaugh could pull something where – but he doesn't even have an agent, so he didn't even know what to do with that. But O'Connell's been – you know, played – you know, the funny thing about O'Connell was he went to San Diego State, and he was drafted in the third round by the Patriots. So in 2008. So behind yeah. you, have like, well, you have Brady. Why would you draft him? Brady's, like, in his mid-20s. <laughs> but then he was at the Browns, the 49ers. So He's only been coaching for six years. Again, another type of hire where, like, you have to be, I think, the requirement is to be in your mid to late 30s and you get hired in the nfl to be a coach and your bright offensive mind
0: it's 7:15. this is iron sports uh true oldies channel i'm mike balsamo we'll speak with greg Beatty in just a moment Houston, Ira. This one kind of—I really thought Brian Flores was was going to get the uh, Houston job, and it's Lovey Smith. I did not see this one coming.
1: He was a defensive coordinator there last year. Remember, Lovey Smith for eight years was at Chicago, two times went to the NFC Championship Game, one Super Bowl, where he took the, they lost to the Colts in the Super Bowl. Uh, but uh, and then he was at Tampa and had a couple bad years at Tampa. Was at the Illinois coach, but being on the staff, I think they wanted Josh McGowan uh, to come and maybe he's the offensive coordinator had no coaching experience. I think this was a, a way to have Lovey there run. I mean, he's very well respected in the league. I think people are sort of look at the Illinois experience. I mean, that's no one has won at Illinois. I don't know when, and I think it's a really tough position. So, if his last year at the Bears, he was ten and six, and was fired after ten and six, yes. which is crazy to think. And so, I, look, I think it's I, the Texans played hard last year in a lot of games. They did. So, i I think this was an interesting pick, but I think look, Lovey's done. I whether he deserved a third shot in the league, but people are saying the Tampa job he was there two years really. wasn't even a shot anyway.
0: Let's talk about uh, breaking news actually that the Saints have found their coach. It's Dennis Allen.
1: Well, you know, his name was up there, but if you look at the Saints, he was the defensive coordinator and when you were there for the Tampa game, when Tampa couldn't move the ball at all, scored zero, you know, shut out Tom Brady and all those things. Tampa, New Orleans defense, New Orleans offense was horrendous this year, but their defense was amazing. Only thing they kept him even in the playoff hunt. So, Allen, though, remember, was the coach at the Raiders for a couple of years. 2014, uh, 13-14 was 2-14 and 14 and 6-10. and 10. Didn't really do well there, but I think that this is the one where they hired from the defensive side, but I think if you're the Saints and the defense is so good, it sort of made Sense that he probably was going to be the person t- chosen.
0: Um, anything you want to talk about here with um, you know with, with the proceedings with, with Brian uh, Brian Flores?
1: I was surprised he filed the lawsuit. Now, certainly, you know, the one thing I am going to say is that, you know, for years, there's been certainly overt discrimination in the league. And a lot of minorities did not get even a chance to be hired. And we don't we look at the great coaches in the past. I mean, there's probably minorities that if they were allowed to coach, would have got those positions. Now, it seems like, you know, they're trying to do with all the rules and everything and changes. You see from the minority hiring and the coaches, not where they want it, but from the assistant coaches, there's um, uh, 15 defensive coordinators that are, are minority coaches. I think there's like seven or eight uh, offensive coaches, offensive coordinators. You're starting, you'll probably start to see that now. There's five uh, coaches with Levy Smith getting hired. I was surprised that uh, Brian Flores filed the lawsuit until the Texan job because I thought that was going to be his chance for yeah. that, his job. So I was sort of surprised with the timing and also to sue like the Giants and Denver and these other teams. You know, Certainly the Dolphins, a complete mess. No one thought he should have been fired. It seems like a completely dysfunctional organization. No Matter what I mean, the the dolphins are a mess. They make mistakes constantly, and uh, you know from Tony. Supra- I mean, all these decisions they had. I mean, eventually, you know, it doesn't think that someday like the dolphins at Harvard are just going to get together. Like eventually, <laughs> Harvard's going to come there. It's the one thing it's going to work. But uh, and I was I was definitely surprised that he fouled it until because it seemed like he was the front runner for the Texans job.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely thought so. And they said it didn't affect his chances. He was still in the running, but obviously uh, that ship has sailed now. Ira, is it time for the NFL to like scrap the Pro Bowl or do something else? It was a joke yesterday.
1: I was there two years ago at the Pro Bowl. And uh, I thought it was terrible. Last yesterday was uh, it wasn't football. I mean, I was like calling people to say turn this on because they not only they don't even want you to touch. Like you could go out and play two hand touch, one hand touch football <laughs> would be more. Flag football is tougher. Like I've never seen these players. Like it is unbelievable what was going on because they were just throwing the ball. It was a joke. And and and, and the running game, nobody could run because the moment you touch the line, they would they would, the officials just blow the dead. I don't. I never saw a player t- on the ground. I mean, how <laughs> would you imagine watching football and not see player even go on the ground so it was they weren't even trying to wrap people up you know sometimes they play with rat it was really it was you know to the senior bowl was also on saturday they actually tackled in that game this was they got to do something it was just embarrassing i mean i can't believe they keep playing this game
0: it's uh, I, I saw, you know, I think they get like, I don't remember the exact statistic, but a few years ago it was like, you got 40 grand or something if you won the Pro Bowl. And if you lost, you got like 35 grand. <laughs> it was like, so what's the difference? You give a 100 grand or nothing. Something like that. Maybe they'll go out there and, and try to hit. Um, Alvin Kamara, I, if you're an NFL coach or owner, don't let your players go to Vegas. Like, it, it seems like bad stuff happens well, there. that's
1: where the Pro Bowl was. So yeah, he's in he got, Vegas. So this is going to become a story. We're just saying this now, but I mean, there supposedly there's a video of him punching someone eight times on the ground and a fight, and a Kamara is one of my favorite, you know, he's probably one of the he's top a superstar, th- man. F- f- you know, in the fantasy football, he's there one, two, or three the last three, four years, one of the great running backs, and uh, uh, just, uh, you know, with the story is just coming out what's happened, but certainly you're looking at it's coming next year, the way the league operates, a, a long game suspension, and another thing that's going to hurt the Saints, I mean, if you look at the NFC, I mean, it's just, just, from my perspective, is with Brady retiring, it just opens up, I mean, it's like if Aaron Rodgers would leave the NFC to go to the AFC, there's really the favorites of the NFC is that you've got the Cowboys next year. You've got the Rams next year. Really? Maybe see Adel with Russell Wilson, but that's with Roger. If Rogers stays. That's why Rogers just stayed the Packers. They probably are going to be in the NFC championship game anyway.
0: Yeah. You can almost book it compared with the competition. That's yes. going to have to face in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> let's go to uh, Greg Beatty. Now here on iron sports.
1: This is iron sports 959 9, 106.9 And we're honored to have a former dolphin who played Eight years, I think, for the Dolphins. Uh, Greg Beatty, thanks a lot, Greg, for coming on Iron Sports.
2: Thank you. I, I, the real thing, I, I played five and a half with the Dolphins, and I spent two with the Patriots, and then I bounced around for a year and a half. So I know what it's like to, to bounce around from team to team. And, you know, I spent, uh, in a year and a half, I was on seven different teams. So that's, that's the least favorite part of the game. The fun part is the Dolphins and the Patriots and, and, you know, actually playing and, and contributing.
1: Well, I mean, I think I guess the fun aspect of it is you played during the Dolphins in some, in those glory years for Don Shula, for Dan, you know, catching passes from Dan Marino. I mean, that must've been awesome to, to be involved with teams like that.
2: It was, um, we had a, we had a a wonderful team and and we came up just short a couple of times in the playoffs, but uh, you know, I, I did play, I think, in all five seasons. We went to the playoffs, uh, I believe, well, no, one year we did not. So, uh, you know, in five seasons, we went to the playoffs four out of five years. Uh, we came up short in the uh, AFC Championship game one time against the Bills. That was at the same time. We had a wonderful rivalry with the Bills. But that season, we we actually had the AFC Championship game at our place at home, and I'm a big believer in, in momentum, um, that game, we were down, I think, uh, 21, nothing three minutes into the game because of just fluke plays and different things. And it was like, wait a second. We worked all season, all off season to set ourselves up for this super bowl run. And we have the AFC, AFC championship game at our house. I truly, honestly, in my heart of hearts, believe we were better than Buffalo uh, and uh, things just some breaks go badly, and and, uh, and and you lose, and you don't go to the you don't go to the big big dance.
1: Yeah, I mean that was one. I mean we talk about you know all these rankings of quarterbacks and Brady with the seven rings, and you're talking about Rodgers, and I think that comes back to Marino. I mean certainly it's held against him in terms of his inability to you know be the Super Bowl the one time not winning the Super Bowl. And but he played well in the playoffs. It wasn't like you know, just a lot of things went wrong. But it wasn't like he just choked and somehow he was terrible in the playoffs. I mean, he really—it was just one of those weird things where the Dolphins couldn't get back there. And you expected, boy, with Marino at quarterback, they were going to have three or four Super Bowl titles possibly.
2: Yeah, I, I wish, I wish I could put my finger on it. Uh, again, I think that, um, I, I think being a, a good football team, there's very little that separates uh, one team from another. And, and I, I also like to I, – I hearken back to my college days. And, you know, when you play college football and you're you're an NFL kind of quality player, um, if you have 11 games, when you line up against somebody across from you, nine out of 11, the guy you line, are lining up against to battle against personally, you – your senior year, you know you're better than that guy, right? I mean, you're 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 just at a different level. When you get into the NFL, you could play a team that's 0 and 17, but that guy that lines up against you across the way is getting paid to play, and and there's very little difference that separates. And I think it's organization, or it's leadership, obviously those things, but there's very little amongst the players that really separates 0 and 17 and 17 at all. And and so when you get into the playoffs, it's a matter of things bouncing the right way, the right thing happening. Uh, you know, this last playoff season was just amazing. Uh, the championship weekend, not the AFC championship, the NFC, but the week, weekend before that, every game came down to the final play of the game. And that that's amazing. And that shows just how razor thin the margin is and how a ball bouncing one way or another can uh, can dictate – your, how, how people perceive you, how people perceive Dan Marino in, in, in perpetuity.
1: Did did it feel like? I mean, did Marino put pressure as a as a time went on? Was it like we got to get to the Super Bowl? I mean, did you feel from a organizational standpoint it just became a burden almost? As somebody said, you know, the Bills talk about it. You know, they went to the Super Bowl four times, and by the fourth time, it was it was this you know this weight on their back. And you heard Steve Young used to talk. You know, he said I got the monkey off my back. And you know that one comment that he said I, is it? Did you feel that burden because you had this great quarterback, and or is it just like you know, look, we're going against great teams, we're playing the playoffs. That's what we're trying to do. You
2: know, I don't think so. I I, I retired before Dan retired, so I, I, maybe there was some pressure those last couple of years in his in his career. But um, I I didn't feel that way because we always felt, and maybe it was just having a great quarterback, uh, you know, as your as your leader. We always felt that we were as good as anybody else and 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 could could go. Uh, so it, I don't I don't know that there was any pressure because we. We always went into the season thinking, okay, this is this is the season. This is when we're gonna do it. And I I think there was just a, a hidden a, you know, unknown confidence in us that, that we were gonna do it. And for whatever reason, um, you know, things things didn't go our way and, and uh and so we didn't go to the but I, I never felt that pressure going into the season that, oh my gosh, Dan's getting old, we gotta do it this year. Never, never felt that way always felt that we had a chance and always felt as the season went on that we had uh, that we were building and, and thought that we would get there to the Super Bowl and, and possibly win it.
1: And you played with Mark Duper, Mark Clayton. I mean, that was like, as someone who's growing up, I mean, that was the glory days of the quarterback wide receivers and, and all that. And it was so much exciting to watch and, and so innovative in terms of offensive. And, you know, you were part of that offense. That must have been fun to be with such talented players surrounded by so many talented players.
2: It was, it was, it was great. And I, I just actually bumped into Mark Duper on the golf course. Um, and I walked up, somebody said, Oh, they knew that I was a former dolphin player. And they said, Oh, Mark Duper's just up there. He's teeing off. And I hadn't seen Mark Duper in more than 10 years. And, uh, so I walked up and said, Hey, old man, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to be on this course, you know? (laughs) And he's like, who's that? Who is, and then he, then he saw it and, you know, we hugged and so forth. So, Look, I, I, I reflect back on my on my time in the NFL, and I, I was fortunate enough to play with a bunch of great players. I, I uh, you know, played with four Hall of Fame quarterbacks, including John Elway in, in college uh, at Stanford, and, and so played with Joe Montana and Steve Young and Dan Marino. And, and so, you know, I reflect on those times, and it's just, uh, you know, it's, it, it's it's a pretty amazing to to look back and see all my teammates and know just uh, how fortunate I was to be in the position to uh, to try to help them win football games.
1: And what was it like? You know. Back when you played in the 80s and early 90s, I mean, there wasn't the, the certainly the heat and the, you know, the, these teams came later and the Marlins and whatever. The Dolphins were the team in town. They were, I mean, they still have the love. I mean, if you ask anybody in Miami who owns this town, it's clearly, you know, at all of South Florida, it's the Dolphins and, and uh, throughout the country, really. It, it must have been, that must have been experience of being, you know, the only pro team really in town and, and what people were going to and watching.
2: It was it, it was fun. I, I mean, I, I know my my wife uh, grew up here in South Florida, and she was grown. She she was raised on the Dolphins, uh, but her father was a big fan. Uh, he grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, so he was a fan of the Celtics, and he was a fan of the Red Sox. So she grew up as a fan of the Dolphins, but also uh, loves those Boston teams. So um, you're right. It was uh, it was great to be the only the only game in town. Um, I can tell you though that when we played the Jets and everything, there there were a lot of Jets fans in the a lot of New York fans. There are a lot of transplants from New York down here in Miami, so I, I think they they liked the Dolphins. Uh, seven, sixteen out of or fifteen out of sixteen weeks of the year, as it was back then. But um, we ser- there were certainly some some loud loud New York fans when when we played at home.
1: That must have been going back to your college days. That must have been so cool to be playing. So you played with Elway. How many players do you think ever played with Elway and Marino? But were you there for the Stanford band play when that happened? Was that were you on the team at that time for the one of the most if people don't remember? Go Google Stanford band play. It is clearly the greatest college college football play in the history of college football. But were you there at Stanford for that play? See,
2: see you know, you bring up my worst memory of my entire football playing career by bringing up that play. You call it a great play. I call it the worst play in the history of college football. Uh, Yes, I was there. I was a freshman. Uh, I played in that game. Um, And, you know, you look back on it and there were, if, if if that play had happened with instant replay, there were five different violations or penalties created by Cal on that play that would have disallowed the play. Um, you know, and including, you know, two forward laterals guys down on his knee when he, when he laterals the ball, uh, guys running in, a guy ran in from the sideline after the play began. Uh, I mean, there were a number of things and, and ironically, I mean, we all, I mean, I was sitting there watching and the the refs, we thought, I mean, our team stopped playing because they blew the whistle. And so they stopped because you don't want to get a 15 yard penalty for tackling or, a guy after the whistle blows and you can see on the replays, the official running to the spot where the guy was on his knee, waving his arms. And then when the play was over, they all the Cal fans ran down. They circled the, the, the officials and the official, Raised his hands as a touchdown, so that's how I view it. I'm sure Cal people view it completely differently.
1: Yeah, I and mean, people should, you know, as they Google the play, it was hilarious that the Stanford band was actually on the field while they, Kyle was returning it, and then he, the person, the player that returned the punt, uh, he he went and took the ball and put it into the tuba players, the tuba. So yeah. it's just he,
2: the, he landed on the trombone player as uh, he jumped into the end zone. Yeah, I, trombone. I
1: I do I do remember that. Trumbo, not Tuba. So what about yeah. today's games? You played when I mean the the game of football and I think yesterday was we we talk about the Pro Bowl and I mentioned if you'd watched it and it doesn't get good ratings because it was like there was no tackling. It was a two and a half hour football game and I don't think anyone ever hit the ground the entire game and they're not playing flag football or even two hand touch. It was a weird type of game but you know the game has been criticized that you know for a number of reasons it's getting softer but you've definitely played in the time when it was known to be you know with the Raiders and the Steelers and those were where those you know were really tough. What do you think about how the game has changed over the years and, and how they're playing today?
2: Well, I know I'm going to come across as that typical old guy, and I like to think that I'm not old. But, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I just – I don't – I think it's gone soft. I really do. I, I think it's gone soft. I, I don't like some of the rule changes. I, I don't it, – it doesn't, it doesn't even – some of it doesn't even resemble football anymore. There are such advantages for the offense. You know, you talked about Marino and the crazy talent we had. and I, I, can't, I can't even imagine – what, what he would do in this kind of uh, in this kind of league when receivers can't get hit, uh, quarterbacks can't get hit, quarterbacks can throw the ball. I, I mean, the, the dumbest rule I've ever seen is allowing a quarterback to leave the pocket and then they can just throw it anywhere and it's not grounding. They don't have to throw it anywhere near a receiver as long as they're out of the pocket. I, I just, to me, that doesn't make sense. Um, to me, quarterbacks should be able to be hit just like everybody else can. Um I also don't uh, – I really don't like the, the uh, blindside block. I mean, you know, one of the first things you learn when you play football is when there's a sudden change of direction, get your head on a swivel so you don't get blown up. But now you can't even – That they took that out. The they horse collar – in my years, I've never seen somebody get hurt being tackled from behind in a horse collar, but somehow they think that's an illegal, extremely dangerous play. Uh, just don't get run down from behind, and you'll be fine. So – I you know i it's 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 sad, and I know why they're doing it because of the potential head trauma and all that kind of stuff but um you know i I played a long time in the NFL i played i started playing football when I was eight years old, and in all that time, I never had a concussion um i, I don't believe I ever had a concussion. I actually went to uh, the doctors just to try to get a baseline you know with the whole uh, head trauma and you know nFL lawsuit and so forth and and i went in to see the doctor i went in and i i said look i'm, I'm here just to get a baseline because i i want to know if i've ever had anything or whatever but i don't think i ever did and they said that i was the first player that actually came in to say trying to talk them into the fact that i've never had anything and i don't want any money <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah look it's it's just a it's a different game it's it's a different it's like watching it's like watching the the in basketball, watching the Warriors these days passing the ball around, shooting threes, and and then trying to extrapolate how they would play against the Detroit Pistons of, of the Bad Boy era. And you know, if you ask me, I, I like the Detroit Pistons and that stuff a lot better. And if you ask me, the one thing I would do to change to to, to fix the game of basketball, although people would argue it doesn't need to be fixed, I'd get rid of the three point shot because it's become a, uh, you know, a throw it up from three and, and who cares about whether you have a big guy that can battle inside. So, anyway, I'm, I'm old school and uh, I would prefer to have it. Um, I would prefer to have more hitting. I would prefer to have more contact. I would prefer to have uh, receivers have to be tough across the middle and, and get hit as they're catching the ball if their quarterback leads them into it. You know, that's there's a there's a very close bond between a quarterback and and his receivers and tight ends because you, you're counting on that quarterback not to lead you into damage, and now it doesn't matter because they can't really hit the guy, so it's it's a different game. It really is.
1: Well, you know, today this is the enforcer type show. I know you were known as being a really tough player and we have Charles Oakley coming on later in the show of who wrote the book called The Last Enforcer, as you know from the New York Knicks. So it was it's great that got two very I'm glad they're both gone on, on the, the phone and not in the studio right now. But so what yeah. what's your thinking about this game? We got the Super Bowl coming up uh, at the end of the week and uh, two teams that you know, the Rams and the Bengals uh both four seed, both had ups and downs this year. Uh, both had have explosive offenses. What you're thinking about going into this game? I know you've watched them both, and and what's your sort of prediction? And how do you think the game's going to shape up?
2: You know, I it, it's I, I think like everybody else, I, I think you, you look at the talent that they have at the Rams, and and it's hard to picture how the Bengals are going to overcome that. Uh, but yet you look at the you look at the same thing in the AFC Championship game, and you I don't think there were many people that were predicting. the Cincinnati Bengals winning. Um, I, I think what I think when teams believe in themselves, when they believe in, in a leader, when they have a Joe Burrow, um, you know that kind of guy. Uh, I, I think they the people play above their heads. And, and as I said, I mean the, the difference between talent, the difference between uh, being an All Pro and just being a, a regular guy is whether you're whether you're in the right spot that fits your skills, that you're, you're in the right place at the right time. I mean, one of the things I know about my NFL career is that there were a lot of people uh, that never played in the NFL, a lot of tight ends that were probably better than me physically, talented-wise, uh, but there were a lot of guys that played in Pro Bowls year in, year out that I know I was probably better than them, you know, talent-wise, you know, but you have to be in the right place, and I didn't mean, I, I hope that doesn't sound cocky. I don't mean it to sound that way. I mean, things. there are very few players in the NFL that are truly Head and shoulders just better at their position than anybody else, and that they would be better if they were on any of the 32 teams. Um, so you know, I look at this game and I say, you know, I say the Bengals have a shot because they believe in Burrow. Um, but you know, I, if you if I were a betting man and I'm not, I don't, I don't, I would never bet on NFL football games. Uh, but I would say the Rams are look like they have the have a good opportunity to be
1: Super Bowl champs. <laughs> well, we'll be all watching that game. I'm going to be out in L.A., maybe maybe going to the game. But, uh, uh, Greg, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and talking about the Dolphins, talking about the NFL, Stanford, all those plays. You had a great, you know, very fulfilling uh, football career. So it was all I met you, and it was just so cool that you come on the show and talk about that, especially a few days before the Super Bowl.
2: Well, thank you, Ira. Anytime, I appreciate it. I really enjoyed meeting you at the Orange Bowl, and uh, hope that our paths cross again.
0: This is Ira on Sports True Oldie's channel. Mike Balsamo here at seven thirty-eight. Great stuff there from Greg Beatty. Do you have a comment on that?
2: Yeah, you
1: know, I, I would just we. I think the interesting thing he said was that we talk about quarterbacks all the time. Like we maybe over talk about quarterbacks. Mm-hmm but here's someone who was a tight end on a team back whatever, but he points to Joe Burrow. I mean he points to like when he was on his team and he mentioned Marino. So the quarterback position as much as we talk 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 about the 32 quarterbacks that are in the league, it does matter because oh, yeah. here's a this isn't just us talking who never <laughs> would even, you know, be on the field or ever. Here's a guy who played for the Dolphins. He says, "I don't want to be cocky." Well, you did play 6 years for the Dolphins. I mean, you could be cocky if you played 6 years and 8 years in the NFL football. But again, that's the shows you even, you know, for the what the position of quarterback and how important that is and, and and really where Stafford and Burrow, where, where teams are looking for it. And, and that's where looking when we look, when you see Aaron Rodgers and, and somehow he doesn't have that leadership sometimes in these games where it seems like he doesn't have the motivation. And, and, and I guess it does. I mean, you really, even from these players, you have to present uh, confidence and, and like you're going to, you're the general really
0: mm-hmm. of the team. we got just about five minutes or so till New York Knicks legend Charles Oakley joins us. Let's talk a little golf though, Ira. And I think that the, you know, PGA tour should have been thrilled going into Sunday. It's the only thing really going on is the, um, uh, Pro Bowl. <laughs> so they're going against something that most people don't really don't really care about. They're at one of the most beautiful golf courses in the world. Everyone's bucket list is to play Pebble Beach and got Patrick Cantlay and Jordan Speeth both in contention and Tom Hoagie <laughs> takes this one down. It was a little anticlimactic. He ended up pulling ahead and, you know, Spieth and Cantlay uh, fell behind early enough but still, uh, you know, great, great weekend
1: of golf. Yeah, well, Spieth, when he bogeyed 17 at that point, Hoagie was behind him a hole. Spieth, I felt like if he would have, he was in a position, just The par of the hole. When he bogeyed and then Spieth and then Hoagie birdied it, that was the swing and then that that, uh, picturesque 18th where they just were the waters on the left-hand side and then Hoagie was behind Spieth so he could see what Spieth was doing and Spieth Barely par that hole, so he was able to coast in for his first victory. I mean, we had Luke List last week, mm-hmm. and now we two players that have been on the tour in their early thirties have played like two hundred events, and they finally got their wins. And you can see how much it mattered to these players because now look, you got a Masters invite, and you got exemptions from the tour. This isn't just a normal win. I mean, this was a big deal. And Spieth, again, another situation. I mean, how many times have we seen him on Sunday with these? I mean, he's one of the best putters in the game. I mean, he is tremendous. And then he, he, and, he and he was great in the majors, but. It's it's like he's never recovered from that Masters years and years ago.
0: Yeah, and Cantlay, another excellent putter couldn't putt at all on Sunday. I don't know what was going on with him. Harold Varner, he could putt a little bit, huh? 88-footer eagle to, to, uh, to win this one in Saudi Arabia.
1: I think they got a lot of Chris You had Bryson, DJ, a lot of the stars were in Saudi Arabia, and people are saying, why weren't they at the Pebble Beach? Here's the most iconic golf course they weren't playing in that tour, and it seems like the players were all, all spread up out. and this, this gets to the other point when they were in Saudi Arabia. There's the Greg Norman League that they're talking about, and for the last few years, people have mentioned it, and no one's really committed, put their foot but finally, Phil Mickelson, made the comment is look I made a hundred and some million dollars on the tour they're offering me a hundred and like I have my I don't have my own pictures I don't have my own likeness talk about name image and likeness Mm -hmm. and then Kafka goes like Phil you make a hundred million dollars a year I mean how much more can you make and but the fact that you see Dustin Johnson and Bryson supposedly offered 130 140 million Mm dollars to do this tour this is gonna this is starting to get interesting now in terms of what because these golfers as we see they don't want to play they don't want to play all these tours we're going to talk about the Honda we're excited but that's why you're not you're seeing two Three players on the. uh, Could you imagine if we had the NFL season and only a couple players showed up? Like the Steelers said, "Oh, yeah, let's (laughs) let's take a couple games off. Let's not play this game and stuff like that." You know, it's like and it's like or even in NASCAR. I mean, they or Formula One, they play. They're every week. They're there. So the point is, is that in the golfers, you know, they play their 15 events. That's all they have to do. They play the majors. And now you're telling Phil Mickelson, you make you're 51 years old, you make 100 million dollars on this European to whatever kind of tour they want to call it. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, the numbers they were putting, like what was offered to Bryson is more than Tiger Woods made in his entire career in earnings. He could make it just by signing a contract.
1: Just by signing a contract <laughs> and playing. And then you're saying, well, then how, if they're going to sign the top 20 players, then how else would you get in those? But then they could probably fill the fields out. But I think that's the one thing the players are saying, why are we out here? Like if you go to the Honda Classic and fills out there, everyone's going to be following, everyone's following the leaders. The other players are great players, but no one's following them. They're like we're the ones that people are coming to, so we should get all the money. Like we don't need 120 some mm-hmm. players playing on this store. You know, we're the ones that are drawing. I think that's the feeling, you know, uh, that some of these stars are saying, well, let's cash in and make the money if we can.
0: What's the uh, upcoming schedule for golf?
1: Waste management, which is that crazy tournament in Phoenix so where everybody's <laughs> screaming and yelling. It's like the junior, like the Honda's trying to feed that the summit. Then the Genesis, which I'll be at, which I love. I didn't go to last year because we weren't allowed, the fans weren't allowed, but at the Riviera Country Club, it's Tigers tournament. It's a must, all the top golfers will be there. And then we're back to the Honda, so we're at the press conference tomorrow, uh, but the Honda Classic here in West Palm Beach.
0: You know, I was looking at the. Did you ever look into going to the waste management? Um, yes. The tickets for Saturday for the grandstands fourteen hundred bucks. Start. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and just to, you know, most of the people are so drunk they don't remember it anyway. Funny stuff there. Um, what's going on in the NBA? We got a minute or two before we talk to uh, Mister Oakley.
1: Well, really, the, the exciting thing with the NBA is the Heat are playing great, and they really have been. Most of their teams been hurt this year. It yeah. shows you what kind of. What Riley and Spoelstra put together is when they miss Lowry and Butler and Bam, and they're still the number one number one seed. It just shows you how deep this team is, and why I really think the two teams are the Heat and I, and 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 definitely the Bucks. I think those are the teams that, that have the best chance to go forward. The Nets are struggling. They've lost eight in a row. Uh, Durant is out. Harden is playing terribly. Kyrie only plays some games and not other games, <laughs> and they might be in that six to ten seeding. I mean, the Cavaliers are the, the Funny thing is, LeBron leaves <laughs> the Heat. LeBron leaves the Cavs, and right now, one and two, or actually one and three, are Heat and Cavs, and the Lakers are like the ninth seed in the West, and the Lakers are struggling. I mean, they barely they were down twenty some points. So the Knicks barely won that game. The, the Lakers have been playing terrible, and the two teams in the West, really, Suns and Warriors, those are the top two teams. And that's the problem is that the, the Lakers are in that six through ten, where they're going to be like the eighth, or the uh, the eighth through eighth through ten. You know, they're going to be pretty probably playing the Suns and Wars in the first round, and they're never going to beat
0: them. Yeah, that's not going to go well for them. Uh, let's go to Knicks legend Charles Oakley on Iron Sports.
1: Hi, Charles. Thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports ninety five 9, nine We're honored to have former NBA great Charles
3: Oakley. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: So I spent yesterday reading your book. It's amazing. The Last Enforcer. What a great, great book. And I loved reading about it. And just a little background that I learned about you is you grew up in Cleveland and York, Alabama, and your mom was a great cook. So that's where you learned to be this excellent cook. And your (laughs) grandfather was the one who really taught you how to be an enforcer. (laughs)
3: Right. The toughness, the ruggedness, the the, the how to be a leader, the give, the whole, the spread love. Yes, all of that. My grandfather's.
1: And so you get drafted. You went to Virginia Union, and you get drafted in the first round by the Bulls. You go to the Bulls, and then you met your lifelong friend, Michael Jordan. Talk us a little about Michael. And we're down here in West Palm Beach, and I love the story you had about that there's some money maybe on the Miami tarmac. Uh, some bills, $100 bills floating around, maybe still now uh, that you left there that one time on the trip. When-
3: yes, in this book I talk about that. Yeah, it's still, it's still some money. Flying around. And I told the guys who, the bad guys who was getting bags on the plane. I said, "Whatever y'all get y'all going to have? But, uh, no, he's just a great guy. Been a, been a true friend all my life. Every time I call, he hit the ball at the park. Don't ask me no question. A lot of love between me and him.
1: And you've known Charles as being one of the greatest rebounders. And I trust my mom, who's in their mid-80s. You know, that's all she talks about when she watches the basketball game, rebounding, rebounding. And I watched the Knicks-Lakers on Saturday night. You know, she's like, no one's rebounding the ball. And I said, I'm going to have a rebounder, 1,200 rebounds. Talk to me about what made you this great rebounder and what you see missing in the game today.
3: Well, I think that in the book we talk about the eight of the nineties. People always want to talk, why the eight of the nineties was so good. I think it was tough. rugged. you had, you know, um, everyone had one another accountable. For the rebound, it's just tough. And I think that um, – you know, my grandfather used to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, go in the field, barely can see out there, come back, walk to work, three miles each way, come back, go to the field. And that toughness that rubbed off. But uh, on the court, you just got to be in it to win it. Um, you playing your role, and my role was to play defense, rebound, no matter if I get hit in the head or whatever. I've been cutting my face about 12 times. I didn't complain. I just kept playing.
1: You mentioned in the book that one day they told you you broke your hand, and you're like, okay, and then you went out and got 20 rebounds that night, even with a broken hand.
3: Yeah, uh back then, I think in the 90s, I talk about in this book a lot. We played with hamstring pulls, growing, uh, jam fingers. It wasn't a point of uh, you wanted to come out because most times you got hurt back then, you lost a job. Maybe a few guys, Michael, Magic, Burr, but most of everybody else's job was in jeopardy if they got hurt. So I didn't complain about being hurt. It's just like I think in the book when I told when I got jumped by them three guys, they broke my wrist and I went home. And my mother and I were like, what happened? I told them I failed running.
1: <laughs> and did you ever hear the term in the, in the 80s and 90s, load management? Was that ever discussed anywhere?
3: Uh, the only time with load management, guys who came to shoot around didn't go to the game, but they didn't play at all. <laughs> <laughs> but our low managers, it's a its if they 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 said they change laws every day. They change the speed limit sometimes. I know it used to be 69. You go down to Oklahoma and 75. So things do change. Things do happen. Uh, this day and age, uh, they, they shoot a lot of threes and needs a different ball game. So I try not to interfere with these guys because, you know, when I play, maybe they should interfere because it was just rough and tough. We didn't think about being lazy.
1: And then I loved in the book you mentioned that you were at the tyson Spinks fight when you got the word that here you're on the Bulls, you're at the cusp of, like, maybe having this great dominant team where you're going to win maybe six, seven, right. eight titles, and they trade you to the Knicks. And uh, that must have been, you know, that must have been a shock to the system to be able to trade it to the Knicks.
3: Yeah, in the book, I talk about that fight. A couple other things happened. Richard Dent got pickpocketed. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we had a good time. I ain't gonna, You know, I, didn't, I just asked Mike, did he know? He told me he knew. They talked about it, but... I mean, but when you get traded, you can't cry about it. You still got a job. Just go prove to the other team that you want to the trade.
1: So, and then in the book you talk about, you know, one of the most famous Jordan dunks of all time is in the playoffs over when he went and he backed up and he went, you know, against Starks, backed up, and then he dunked over Ewing. And you stopped him initially, so he didn't dunk over you. Yeah. But I thought that was a great story. Tell about that a little bit about that.
3: Uh, it was about a rotation on the sideline. You know, when the ball away from you, everybody for to take two steps towards the ball. And John's in the baseline. I trapped him, but but I didn't. I didn't step out of bounds. So he 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 snuck around the baseline. Patrick was the next guy. He's forbidden been the hedge mark. But my thing, that was a good time for Patrick to take him out. No layup. We we always said no layup, and he had a chance because when you get dunked on, I you got a chance to take somebody out. But hey, it happened. But uh, you know, it was a tough series playing with the Bulls. Uh, you know, we just didn't have enough points every time we played them. They always outscored about two or three. Um, we could never get a big play when we needed.
1: And in the book, you do criticize Patrick Ewing. You're like, you know, the point with Patrick is that he needed a number two, and you said Patrick was a number two. He really needed a number <laughs> one.
3: <laughs> well, you know, if you go by and they said who to go, or this and that, and you think about who all won championships. I mean, you know, Carl Malone played with <laughs> Stockton. Barkley played most time by himself, but, them guys couldn't make the one better. You know, who, who Carl Malone can make better. You know, uh, who Patrick can make You know, just my thing is, my problem, i criticize in the book. It's just conversation. I played with him for 10 years. I think I know him just <coughs> a lot of A lot of people in the press. But my thing is, I think in, in the series against Houston, it's just like shooting. I hate when a guy shoot against double-team. I mean, when you get double-team, it means somebody else open. And when Akeem got double-team, he passes out Sam Cassell, Mario Elliott, and them guys hit three. So, but my, my guy that passed out, it's just trust. I mean, how can you not trust us i we mean, in the finals? You've got to make plays.
1: Yeah, I mean, that Houston series was so tough. I mean, you finally had the year where there was no Michael Jordan to stop you. You get to the final. You get past, the, you know, the Pacers, everything. Get to the finals. And there are you. Yeah. Just all you have to do is Houston. And then, you, you know, Starks criticized that series. But you point out the fact that, look, you missed free throws. Patrick didn't play well. You really went through those games in detail.
3: Well, I mean, I'm a student of the game, and when you talk these days, you better know what you're talking because they 'cause they're gonna question you. I get, yeah, they have <laughs> that saying, saying things about. I'm not really talking. Just my thing is, if we played in the '80s and '90s, if somebody can't say something about you, you playing, you know, and the way we played, uh, some, some, I mean, ain't nobody throw you know, eggs or rocks at your house or none of that, but. I mean, we all—I've I've been criticized about a pass here, a pass there. I mean, it's part of the game, and people are gonna ask you about that a lot. And so, uh, only way you know is tells the truth. And I—I I, I don't sugarcoat then So, is it, you know, Patrick don't like—he can call and talk to me about it. But my thing is, I watch the tape with you, and and then point it out. And I know—I mean, know—I know, I don't just talk to be talking. I know what I'm talking about.
1: And. When New York, you got your coach Pat Riley, and we're we're down here in South Florida, so we know Coach Riley real well, and now President Riley. But Riley just fit with your him, you know. You just you were there, no nonsense working, and, and that's the kind of coach he was.
3: Oh yes, we talk. I talked a lot about Pat Riley's book. I and I, don't, I don't just say good things about it. I said some things that he could have made made change in the game, made us better. So Patrick, you know, shouldn't be too mad because I said something about Pat Riley or this person, that person, and I'm quite sure. They talk about me in meetings. So, hey, I'm just saying something that I'm not talking behind your back so you can hear what I'm saying.
1: Well, you said in the book, you said that, that one of the things that you felt like coaches today and even then was like, when don't wait till Jordan's scoring 55 on you, start trapping him earlier. You said you thought that Riley waited a while, too long to start trapping him. Oh,
3: and- yeah. Oh, no doubt we should have trapped Michael early. And then I'll never, I'll take that to my grade. Uh, why not own a guy who can really beat you off the dribble and kill you every time? You know, but some I see I understand why now we probably didn't trap him a lot because rotation. You know, a lot of time we trap Patrick didn't come to the rotation like so. I guess he was saving Patrick, of trying to you know do you know whatever we got to do. But I understand. But point up. Another thing I said: you don't sub in the playoff until they sub. Most time we lost against the Bull because I think sometimes Pat Riley try to give guys his minute. and sometimes in certain games guys can't get their minutes. a playoff. I mean. Minutes go up and play up, not down.
1: Right. And then, you know, you had, you know, a lot of times you said in the, in the book you were compared to Charles Barkley a lot. And you felt that every time you played him, you got the better of him. That you actually, you know, you felt like, you know, that the idea is that, you know, there was more. And you, you know, you mentioned in the book. You just didn't get along well with him.
3: Well, I mean, I had to get along with him in the book I took about him. Yeah, he, he, he I'll give him an edge. He's a better player, but I had the biggest heart. So I do not worry about numbers when I play. I just worry about, at that moment, do what you're supposed to do rebound, block out, get the rebound. If you're open, make the shot, make the free throw. So a lot of them guys that, you know, average 25, 30 points. So I mean, they had to score numbers. I didn't have to score numbers every day. My number is taking three, four charges, diving, you know, so I didn't get caught up in the height without numbers. I know that. If I, have, if I have twenty some points, i probably make the all-star team more. But I just look at that. I look at my team, what we had what, what could I contribute to my team on a regular basis?
1: Oh, and you know, and you mentioned in your book, I remember, 96-97, the series against the Heat, all that fights, you know, Charlie Ward, P.J. Brown. But you, you mentioned, you know, I was wondering why you weren't suspended for that. You were already in the locker room. You had been ejected earlier in that game.
3: Uh, uh, yeah, it was. It, I mean, we played the Heat. It was always it was already hot, but the temperature went up from 105 to about 120 because we didn't like one another. You know, Pat Riley went down there, and you know, so it was a lot of a lot of little tension going on in the game. And uh, you know, the uh, PJ flapped Cho I mean, Charlie Ward, and it, just, it was just crazy. But uh, I think we ended up still coming back, winning the next game. I think Patrick got suspended because he stepped on the floor. It was just crazy how things happened.
1: And then you know you were traded to Toronto and you said really good things about playing in Toronto, like you were nervous about going there, but you love the town, and you said you still visit there and enjoy going there
3: oh yes, uh, in the book, I really talk about Toronto, it was just hard to get in, but mm-hmm. once I got there, they embraced me, and I told them at press conference i mean they they wasn't my fan' favorite at first, but they grew and why started watching me, but I guess when they you know it's a big hockey town, and they watched me how I played, I had a little hockey in me. <laughs> they felt start, started liking me. And I told them we was gonna get better every year. So every year before I left, I got traded back to the Bulls. We got better. Went the playoff. We lost the first year. We won the second year. So I kept my promise. We got better and better. And we didn't go to a championship, but like I say, I brought some. I brought some toughness there. I brought some style there.
1: And then I love reading about your final year in the NBA at the Wizards. I mean, you had Jordan, you had Ewing as a coach, Tyrone Liu, Christian Laettner, and then Jordan just for the you know hell of it got Brian Brian Russell, who he you know he brought him back to, to the team, the one he did with the, with a the shot over in Utah. So it must have been a crazy final season. It must have been fun for you to spend that year with him.
3: Oh yes, it was great. You know, I talk about in the book how. Me and Mike, we were just like you know going everywhere together, having D.C. D. embrace us, like bringing all them guys back from different teams. T. Lou, Brian Russell, Patrick Bennett, Coach Doug Collins, Patrick Assistant Coach Doug Collins, the head coach. It was it was just you know we had a ball. You know I think that um, the fans came out. I mean like they appreciated because seeing X guys on the same floor. You know Michael Jordan is always gonna be a crowd. So we had every game was sold out. So I tell you that so. We played hard. We lost. Fan, fans didn't even care about the game. You know, I know we. Were, they probably feel like we are not, yeah, not going to a championship, but it's just glad to be in a room with a space with Michael Jordan. You know, you got him because the Georgetown played uh, Carolina in the, in '93, uh, I think, and they beat him in uh, NCAA. And you know, Michael and Patrick always been a competitive and dream teams, all stars. So they saw a lot for their money.
1: And then I loved how you are this we're talking to Charles Oakley uh, the author of the book The Last Enforcer amazing book encourage everybody to go to bookstores buy it Amazon Barnes and Noble everything it is a really fun easy read great stories, but you finish the book by talking about, you know, setting the record straight a little because the Knicks were, you know, defamed you. I mean, it's really what they did in terms of throwing you out of your seat at the game, banning you from the garden when you are Mr. Nick. You are the Knicks. And, and you when you were playing the Knicks, Dolan didn't even own the team during that time. So it right. was like uh, it was just, you know, sort of you got a chance to set your record straight about what happened.
3: Well, thanks for the love. But In the book, yes, I really – i not to talk a lot about him because I want everybody to know what, how my life was, what I meant to people, this and that. But, yes, it was a bad moment. Um, yes, the dad, I, the dad, we got along well from Cleveland, Ohio, and just happened to, what they say, when you pass something down, you know, they pass a, from a fork from a fork to a spoon, but, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're in court right now. I wish the Knicks all the luck. I love the fans. I hope they can win sooner or later, and uh, (laughs) that's all I can say about that.
1: Probably later than sooner, but anyway. (laughs) And then you mentioned about today's game, and you have a great relationship with LeBron. We're certainly familiar with LeBron down here in South Florida, but but in terms of they're both from Cleveland, so you've really known LeBron as almost his whole life.
3: Yes. I know LeBron. I know some stories about him. As we talk about in the book, his family, his friends, all of them embraced me. I, I appreciate them for that. And uh, you know, everybody always I could pay as Michael Jordan, and LeBron. I said two different guys, both great guys, both of them on the Mount Rushmore. Both of them, one and two in, in my life, for like the best players ever. So let it let it rest at that.
1: <laughs> well, Charles, I know you've been super busy. You're on, uh, you've been, you know, certainly pushing your book, The Last Enforcer. I really appreciate you coming on. IRON sports. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it. Keep pushing that book, The Last Enforcer. It's about to run out, so you better go get you one.